I love that video because it's a real story of a real family uh, that is probably much like you guys and like myself. In fact, it's much like the, the people around us because statistically, about 80 to 90% of the people that you know are living just like that, paycheck to paycheck. And it doesn't matter, and it's kind of interesting that it really doesn't matter how much your paycheck is, the statistics very slimly change, regardless of whether you're making a five-figure salary or a six-figure salary. It's still that same. We're living paycheck to paycheck. And every month is a struggle of where this money is going to come from. And do we have enough? And we'd like to do this. And we'd like to do that. And uh, money is one of the biggest reasons that couples fight and one of the biggest reasons that couples argue. In fact, it is one of the leading causes for divorce. And so, again, I show you that video, and I love that video because it very much would hit home for many of us. And then if you realize in that video what he said is that we, we did all of our bills, we came to the bottom there, and we wanted to give. There was just nothing left to do that with. And the challenge that he was given well, is that your budget is upside down. Give to him first and then see if you have enough left over. And just test him and see. And so uh, when they started doing that, when Randy and his wife started doing that, uh, they kind of really noticed God really providing for them in ways they didn't expect. They really saw God step in uh, to, to areas that they weren't expecting. And, and it's fun that he says he, he looks at his uh, kind of bulletin or his church kind of publishes every week what the budget is and how much is brought in. And he says, I really enjoy the fact that I realized that I was part of that. You see, Randy had realized there's a privilege in giving. There was a privilege of, of contributing to what his church was doing and what God had called him to do. And, and he had learned this privilege of giving. This giving had benefits that he didn't expect. And it wasn't a benefit that he was getting a promotion. It wasn't a benefit that he had all this extra stuff or all this extra money lying around. So I want to make clear that that wasn't the benefits he got. What he got was less fights with his wife, investing in God's kingdom and spending time in valuing God in a way that he didn't see beforehand. And so we're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll look at the first nine verses. And we're going to read about a group of churches that did just that. They, they saw the privilege of giving. And they, they were so willing to invest in what God is doing. And so as we as a church or begin to make some investments in what God is doing. We've got this coffee shop that we're going to be talking a whole lot about, an ice cream shop that we're going to be talking a whole lot about in the coming weeks, and, and honestly probably opening within a couple weeks. And we've got this idea that we're lengthening our ropes. We're stretching out what God has called us to do. We're going beyond the walls of this building. And one of the ways we do that is through providing and seeing the privileges of giving to what God is already doing. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn again. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll read the first nine verses. Paul writes, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by afflictions, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their abilities, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just as we hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this grace. I'm not saying this as a command, but rather by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Let's pray together. Father, above all else, we pray this morning to bask in your grace. God, I pray above all else that we realize how blessed we are to have a Savior that loves us unimaginably. God, above all else, let us worship you and glorify you, not to earn your grace, but in response to it, Father. Because we have a Savior who gave up everything for us. 
And God, if we don't hear any other message today, let us hear the grace of your gospel. Let us hear a God who loved us beyond all imagination. Let us hear of a God who was willing to give when we didn't deserve. In fact, we were fighting against it. And so, God, I pray in these moments that we have, God, that you will speak to our hearts wherever we are at. God, I pray that you will teach us through your word about the grace that you give and also how to respond to that grace, Father. And so, God, I pray that you speak and I pray that we being students and we being willing to hear your word this morning, God, and we be willing to be challenged by it as well. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I read a story this past week about a rich man. Um, and this rich man had a very kind of unusual habit for somebody that was as wealthy as him. And it was so unusual that his friends kind of eventually became very curious of it. And the habit that he had was picking up pennies. And he would pick up pennies anywhere he saw a penny, whether it was on the side ditch or in the grass or on the dirt road. It didn't matter where the penny was at. He was going to stop and pick it up. And it didn't matter if the penny was bright and shiny. It didn't matter if it was old and dull. It didn't matter if it was covered in whatever. He was going to pick that penny up. And then he picked up every single penny he saw. No penny kind of escaped his sight. And when he picked that penny up, he showed it to everybody that was with him. And he showed him. He was like, look at this penny. And he treated this penny like he had just picked up a million bucks. He treated this penny like it was so important. And he began to show it to his friends. He began to tell his friends, of like, look how impressive this penny is. And he cherished every single one that he found. Now, as you can imagine, he was, a very, like I said, he was a very rich man. And his friends were like, this is weird. Like, here's a man who literally is a multimillionaire. And he gets excited about finding a penny on the side of the road. And not does he just get excited about it, but he goes and he picks it up. And then he becomes overjoyed and he shares it with us how much excitement this is. And so finally curiosity got the best of the friends. And they looked to him and they're like, listen, we just, we just got to know. Like, why does a man of your wealth stop every single time you pick up a penny? One, we don't even look for pennies. And, but why do you stop what you're doing and whatever you're doing to pick up a penny? And a man of your wealth, why do you care about a single penny at all? And the rich man replied, he says, well, there's, there's two reasons. And he said, the first one is that every penny reminds me of my true worth as a person. He says, many people... Uh, dear, my life have viewed me just like you view pennies. That we are worthless. That I was worthless. There are times in my life that I was discarded. That I was thrown in a ditch. That I stepped on. And, and that people stepped over me. And they treated me just like everybody else treats these pennies. That, that I was completely worthless or of little value at all, if any value. And I was worthless. And I wasn't worth their time. And I wasn't worth their energy. And he said that for so long in my life, that's how people treated me. He says, but one day, one day there was a rich man. And this rich man came and he picked me up when nobody else was. And he saw me in my isolation. He saw me kind of covered in filth and he picked me up. And I believed that he loved me. And he showed me that I had value. And he told me that if you will trust in me, I will give everything I have and you will become rich. And I trusted him. And I believed him. And I believed him with my whole heart. In fact, he inscribed on my heart the same words that are inscribed on this penny that I just picked up. And it's the same words that are inscribed on every coin that I've ever picked up. In God we trust. And he says, you know, every time I see a penny, it reminds me that my true value is not in the riches, but in the one who made me rich. My value is not in my possessions, but the one who possesses me. And kind of shocked, they said, well, what's the second reason? And he said, well, I can't tell you that. That's private. And a couple of years later, they found out the second reason because a couple of years later, this rich man passed away. And so his friends who kind of knew some of his financial dealings were helping kind of go through some of his financial records. And they found a ledger book, kind of this, this ragtag notebook. And this ledger book had four columns on each page. The first column was a list of dates. And it was pretty consecutive, date after date after date. Almost not a date was missing at all. It went just right down the page every date, year after year after year. There were all these lists of dates. The second column was simply at the top of it said, Pennies Found. 
And in that column was a simple number of every single date. This is the number of pennies that he found. And some days it was one, some days it was five. Some days it was two, some days it was ten. And it just, whatever he found that date. The third column was a list of people's names or churches or charity organizations. And then the fourth column was, a, was an amount of money that corresponded kind of with the, with the pennies, it kind of in, in ration or ratio to the amount of pennies that he had been given. And so they, they kind of looked at this book and they were trying to figure out what in the world was going on. And so finally they couldn't figure it out and they took this to his private accountant and they said, what is this ledger book that he's been writing all this stuff down? And the accountant said, well, you probably weren't supposed to know this, but what he does is every day when he finds a penny, he puts it in his pocket. And at the end of the day, when he goes home, he writes in his ledger book, this is the day, this is how many pennies I found. This is the church or the group or the person that I think needs this amount of money. Because God just placed them on my heart today. And then he proportionally gives however much money to that charity or that organization based on how many pennies he's found. So if he gives 200 Let's just say he'd give 200 or if he founds two pennies, he gives $2,000. If he founds 10 pennies, he gives $10,000. So every single day, based on the value of the pennies he found, he gave to a group or he gave to an organization. And he came back to this idea of why would you do that? How in the world would he do this? And the idea is simply this. It goes back to what he said the first reason he picked up these pennies was. I find my value not in my riches, but in the one who made me rich. I find that I am not who I am. I'm not my possessions, but my value is in the one who possesses me. You see, this man is a true picture of what it looks like when we realize that our giving is initiated by God's grace. That it's not just these pennies that we respond to giving, but it's responding to God's grace that he's giving us. That God initiates this man's giving. He shows him grace literally by showing him a penny and showing him how much he's valued. In response, the man gives to something else. And so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Hence the name of the letter. It's the Second Corinthians. And so it's the letter to the church of Corinth. But in this section of Scripture, in chapter 8, he's pointing them to a different group of churches. He's pointing them uh, right from the very beginning to a church in another region. So I want you to look with me in verse 1. And in verse 1, he says, Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. All right, and so let me just give you just a little bit of background because you'll understand kind of why this is significant. He's telling them, hey, here's this other group of churches. And so Greece was really kind of divided into two categories. There was our territories. There's the southern territory, uh, and that's where Corinth was. But then there's this northern territory, and that was Macedonia. Right? And there's great things going on in the area of Macedonia. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, I want you to know about the good things that God is doing. I want you to know, hey, they don't have Facebook. They don't have um, Fox News or CNN. So sometimes word didn't travel just like it does today. And so what Paul is doing in his letter, he's saying, listen, I want you to understand that God is doing great things somewhere beyond just where you're at. That God is extending beyond the walls of your church. And I want you to know about the grace of God that He's granted to the churches. Man, you should know there are great things happening with these churches. They're experiencing the grace of God. They're experiencing God's favor and God's blessings. And He uses a specific word when He's describing what they receive. And the word is grace. Right? Now, I've told you guys, and, and many of you know this kind of lesson already, that if you're reading a passage of Scripture and you see the same word over and over and over again, it's there for a reason. And so it doesn't take long for you to look through this passage. We read nine verses, and the word grace appears at least four times in those nine verses. It appears here in, number, in verse number one. It shows up again in verse 6. It shows up in verse 7 where he connects it with faith and speech and knowledge. And then it shows up in verse 9. And 9 is kind of the highlight of it. He says for you in verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich for your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. He says, listen, these churches in the northern territory, man, they're experiencing the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And, and the church in Corinth, you, you already know this, but it's something they're experiencing. And man, they're so excited about it. There's this joy that's happening there. And, and they're experiencing the grace that allows them to grow in faith and speech and knowledge. And all of this is granted by God. And, and, and it's not that they've earned it. It's not they deserved it. It's not that they've done anything to get this favor from God. It's simply because He gives it 
to them. Hence, that's the reason he uses this word grace. Paul refers to it as grace because grace is something we have always granted and never earned. God is not pouring out his blessings on this church because they earned it. He's not pouring out blessings on this church because they deserved it. He freely gives them these grace because this is his nature. This is his character. This is what God does. You see, the reality is what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand about this church is same for you and me. That The only reason that you and I have salvation, that you and I have a relationship with God, is because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and because He was rich and He chose to become poor for our sake, that he, he left the perfections of heaven. You see, that's what Paul's talking about when He was rich. You know, we have this beautiful picture of heaven. We have streets of gold and crystal seas and, and everything that you can at pearly gates and all these things that we measure wealth by. It is all in abundance. That, that wealth and gold is so abundant they paved the streets with it in heaven. And, and here Christ is in heaven and He's surrounded by angels that continually sing His praises, continually how, tell Him how great and wonderful He is. And He leaves it. And he leaves all that behind to come humbly to this earth, to be born as a dependent child who, who can't even make up his own bed, he, to, to be a dependent child who can't even feed himself or go to the bathroom by himself. And so he gives up the perfections of heaven, the riches of heaven, and he becomes poor for our sake. And then he walks our dirty streets as he grows up. And then he goes to a cross and he dies this humiliating, most painful death that can ever be conscribed to any human being. And he dies this death and so that he can be Become poor. And why does he do that? It wasn't because he was gaining anything by it. He sure wasn't investing. He was simply doing it so that we could gain from him, so that he, through his poverty, could make us rich. And he's talking talk about riches is like riches in as in your car, your bank account, none of that. He's simply talking about riches in that we have this moment to be rescued, that we have access to heaven. And so because of his poverty, we and his sacrifice, we have this chance to inherit eternal life so that all the riches he left, we can gain access to. So I want you to understand it's very important and very significant that Paul starts and ends this section about giving with this idea of grace. Because this is what grace does. This is what grace demonstrates giving to us. And this is what grace is. And we will never understand the single blessings of God if we don't understand that we all get it by grace. Can I share something with you? You don't earn anything that you have. I don't care if you think you earn your house that you lived in. I, you, you haven't earned the house you live in. You didn't earn the car that you drove here in. You didn't earn the food that's going to be on your table after this service. And let me tell you another secret. You don't earn the money that's in your bank account. And some of you are sitting here like, oh, yes, I do. Trust me. I'm on the job right now. You just don't even know it, right? I, I'm working, man. I'm giving 12 hours a day. I'm 16 hours a day. I've earned everything that I've got. But the reality is you haven't. Because without the grace of God... You wouldn't have a job to earn anything. Without the grace of God, you wouldn't have the mental or the physical abilities to do any type of job. It is all because of grace. The reality is that everything we have really belongs to Him because He gave us the abilities to get those things. He allows us to have it, and really He is the one that gives it to us. And so we've got to understand that before you even get to this idea of giving, you've got to understand that it really all belongs to Him in the first place. You see, it is His grace that allows us to have anything. And Paul makes this so clear in the first letter to the Corinthians that he writes. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He says, but by God's grace, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not ineffectual. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Listen, you can commit to a 16-hour day. You can work 12 hours a day. But the reality is, regardless of how much you work, it's only because of God's grace in you. And you can be whatever you want to be, and you can have whatever you want to have, but the reality is that you are only that, and you only have that because of the grace that God has given you. God initiates giving by grace because without His grace, we have nothing to give. And so I want you to understand... That when he gives these Macedonians, Macedonians as an example of giving, he's not saying, look how much God gave them in return for what they gave him. He is very clear. The reason the Macedonians are giving to God 
is because God already gave it to them. You see, we will never give and we'll never understand giving the way the Bible presents it to us if we think that we have to earn it, if we think we have to deserve it, if we think we deserve all that we have. You see, that wouldn't be grace. And Paul starts and ends this section of Scripture with this idea of giving and this idea of grace because he wants us to understand the only reason we can give is because He gave to us. The, the, the giving is response to grace, not a way to earn grace. And so grace is the top and the bottom of this passage. And sandwiched in between, He gives us this beautiful example of a church that understands that. And so at the top and the bottom of this passage, He's telling you this is why this church does what it does. This is the why they give. And then sandwiched in the middle of the reasons of the top and bottom is this is what it looks like. When you fully understand that everything you have and everything you think you work for and everything you think you deserve really belongs to Him, then this is how you respond. And so in verses 2 through, the, through 8, he really says this is how you should give back to Him. The first way that the Macedonians are given back to Him is they gave generously. Right? Now already some of you are like, dang, here's another preacher up here talking about giving and Man, I don't have money to give. Now he's talking about generously. Like he's really going to expect something big. Like he's going to look at that bulletin next week and be like, dang, this offering is going to be huge because he's talking about giving generously. But I want to share a secret with you. And we're going to see this if we look in verse 2. When Paul uses this word gen- genuinely, he's not talking about amount of money. You see, it has more to do with the attitude of the heart than the amount of money that anybody gives. Right? And so I want you to look with me in verse 2, how he describes this in verse 2. He says, during a severe testing by afflictions, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Right? And I want you to see there's so much that, that we can work through this passage, but I need you to understand that the Macedonians, they knew what wealth looked like. You see, at about 300 B.C., they were the center of the world because they was the headquarters of this man named Alexander the Great. Right? And Alexander the Great ruled not only the Macedonian, but he expanded the Greek Empire. And he expanded it by the age of 30. He had such vast military uh, uh, success that he expanded the Greek Empire. And it became the biggest empire in the world. And he did it all before he was age 30. All right? Some of you young adults, you got to get to work. All right? You guys that are in that young adult Bible study... You got some work to do, right? He did this by 30. Anyway, but he, he does this. And so when he does this, man, Macedonia is the center of wealth. And they're the center of everything. And the world is envious of all that Alexander the Great has conquered. And they're, they're envious of all that he's collected. Because every time you win a military success, you take from their area and you bring it back to yours. And so for, for the time of Alexander the Great, man, Macedonia was known. They were the center of everything. Wealth just poured into that region and into that area. And so for the time of Alexander the Great, they were the center of everything. And then one day that changed because Alexander the Great died. And when he died, they left kind of this power struggle that he didn't have an heir that was going to take over the throne for him. And so there's this question of who's the next legitimate leader. And so Macedonia, that region of Macedonia, the Greek Empire, really faced two major problems. One, there was this internal struggle of who was going to be the successor, who was going to take over this vast empire. And so they they started fighting and struggling, even amongst themselves. And so this war, or this region, was kind of torn apart by war from within. And then on top of that, you had this Roman Empire that was growing and vastly growing and just continued to grow and was coming towards them. And so you have this internal problem of internal strife, and then you have this external problem, this other kingdom, this other empire coming to take over you. And so for a long time, decades worth of wars between the Macedonians and the Romans, the Romans finally conquered them. And so after decades, and I'm talking about about 50 years of fighting, imagine what a war zone looks like after 50 years of fighting. Imagine the economic toll that would take on a nation to withstand battle for 50 years. And then I want you to imagine that you lose. So after those 50 years of fighting, you've invested everything to to sustain your life and your kingdom, and then you lose. Guess what the victor does? They take what you have left. They ship it off to Rome. And then they tax you because they want to use you as an example. Listen, we don't want to fight another 50-year war. And so if we come after you and you fight against us for 50 years, we're going to make you suffer in extreme poverty just like these folks are. And so you're better just to give up and join us. Because look what we've done to these people and we'll do it to you. This was their area of Macedonia. They went from extreme wealth, from having it all and being in the center of the world, to extreme 
poverty. They had nothing. Ravaged by war and overthrown by the Romans. This was the deep poverty that Paul describes in verse 2. And then with the idea of the Romans coming in, the Romans were not very tolerant of this area. They were not very tolerant of the churches or the new Christians in that area. And so this became one of their hot spots for great persecution that happened very often in that region. And so you have this group of churches and this set of Christians that they're faced with these severe afflictions, severe persecution, and deep poverty. But see, between those two ideas... Don't you see how Paul describes them? He says, man, they, they are suffering severe afflictions and they're in extreme poverty. But notice how he describes them. He says, but yet they have an abundance of joy. You see, listen, what Paul is telling the Corinthians, who, by the way, are now one of the wealthiest people of the world when this was written, and what he's telling you and me, who by the world's standard are some of the wealthiest people of the world, and you're like, whoa, I'm not wealthy, trust me. Compared to the rest of the world's standards, you are, all right? And so what Paul is driving home to this message to all of these wealthy people in Corinth and all these wealthy people sitting in this congregation in America, he says, listen, what you need to understand is that joy is not the result or it's not dependent on your wealth and this easy lifestyle. You see, there's this group that has neither of these two things and yet they have joy. There's this group of Christians you need to know about. They have little or no money, but they've got joy. They don't have an easy life. In fact, their life is filled with turmoil and their life is filled with conflict. And yet they have joy. You see, joy is not proportional to our wealth that this world has. Joy is not defined by what we have in this world. And we are not defined by what we have or how it compares to those that are around us. Our contentment and our joy in our life, it doesn't depend on what you have in the bank. It doesn't depend on the size of house you have. It doesn't depend on the car you drove to get here. And it doesn't depend on if you have the next latest and greatest whatever. Your joy and contentment will never come from those things. And so Paul is using the Macedonians here and he says, listen, if you find joy and contentment apart from those things, then you can give generously. Then you can give because you realize that those are not the things that are going to make you happy. You can give because you realize that your contentment and your joy and your satisfaction in life is not from the things that you have or the money that you think you possess. See, here's a group that has neither of those. And yet they are filled with an abundance of joy. And see, they, when they do that, they're able to be happy and content and complete apart from all of those things. They're not defined by those things. And so even in the midst of their poverty and afflictions, they have joy and they, content, and they have contentment. And this allows them to give generously. I want you to see in this in the verse again. Abundance of joy and their deep poverty connect. They overflow into the wealth of their generosity. Isn't that an odd picture there? Joy plus poverty equals generosity. Joy plus poverty equals an abundance, an overflow of wealth of their generosity. You see, Paul uses a very interesting word for generosity here. When most people think of generosity, they think of an amount of money. And when we see this word generosity, it can be translated. In fact, the vast majority of times, it is translated just like that. Generosity. But it also has this kind of side meaning. It has this attachment to it. And the side meaning of this word that Paul uses, besides just generosity, is that it's generosity that's free from hypocrisy. It's generosity that is free to the heart of God. All right? And so this generosity that, that we see, this, that the Macedonians give generously, not because they give a lot, but because they give in a way that is free from hypocrisy. They give in a way that is consistent with what they believe. And so there's not hypocrisy in what they give. You see, it's very easy to simply stand up here and say, yeah, I believe everything belongs to God. It's very easy for us to sit down and say, yeah, I trust God to provide all of my needs. I really do trust Him. It's very easy for us to say, yeah, I, I believe that my contentment and my joy is in Christ and Christ alone and not in stuff that this world tells me I need. It's very easy to say those things, but what Paul is driving home in here, and the real question that we've got to face with ourselves is does our giving reflect what we say we believe? Because that's what he's telling us about these Macedonians. That they really do give in a way that reflects the reality. Hey, listen, we not only believe and say that Christ, we are contending Christ alone, but we give to reflect that. We not only give, and, or we not only say that we trust provide Him, our giving reflects that. And we not only say that we are content and we're happy and we're, we're satisfied with all that we have, 
we give in a way that reflects that we give to Him first. You see, generosity is never about amount of money. It's about matching what you believe with what you do with what God has given you. And so again, it's very easy for all of us to say, I believe it's all God's. I trust Him. I believe contentment is found in Him alone. But what Paul is challenging us with in this verse is are you giving in response to that? Does what you say really match with what you give? And I heard a great pastor one time, and I don't even know who it is. It's one of those that this pastor gave it to this person, gave it to this person. Anyway, he says, you want to know what people value? You want to know what's number one and the most central thing in someone's life? He said, I'll look at two things. Look at their calendar and their schedule, and then look at their pocketbook. Look at their checkbook. And you'll find out real quick what's number one in their life. And what he's telling you about the Macedonians and challenge that he's given every one of us sitting in this room and everyone watching online is do we really match what we say about God? Because that's what it means to give generously. That's what it means to give without hypocrisy. You see, this is what the Macedonians understood. And they gave not just generously, but they gave willingly in this process. I don't know if you watch much news or not, but there's this war going on in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. It's been going on for a while. And when it started, Russia mounted this mass amount of troops. And they massed them on the border of Ukraine right before they invaded, right before they came in. And then what they did was all of these troops were enlisted men. These were folks who voluntarily joined the army. And then they started to run out of them. People just suddenly decided they didn't want to join the Russian army anymore. You know, it's easy. Here we go back to this generosity thing. It's very easy to join the army when the army is not in battle. Right? It's a very different story when the army is in battle and you're like, hey, you know, I don't, maybe I don't want to join. They're getting shot at over there, and I don't really want to be part of that. Right? So what Russia did is they instilled their draft. And so there's two now, two different types of soldiers that are fighting for Russia in Ukraine. There's enlisted men who willfully went to join the army of Russia, and there are these drafted men or these conscribed men who by law said, you're going to come and do this. And you don't have a choice in this. And if you don't show up at this time and this date, then there's penalties that you're going to have to pay. Right? If you're a male and you reach the age of 18, you had to register for the draft in this country. Right? And if you didn't, they send you letters to let you know that you were supposed to do that. All right? And so because in a time of vast military conflict, our nation does the same thing, that we have folks that are willing to serve and want to serve, and this is what they want to do. But then if rubber hits the road and things get really bad, we've got all these other folks that we're going to make do this. All right? And so what Paul shows us in the example of the Macedonians is that there's really two choices. You're either going to give out of consensus, you're either going to give because you're willing to do so, or you're going to give because you think you have to. And the Macedonians give because they want to. They're willing to do this. Look what he says in verse 3. Paul makes this clear that they're not draft givers. They are giving willfully. They signed up for this on their own. In verse 3, he says, I testify that on their own accord to their abilities. All right, and we'll come back to the rest of that verse in just a minute. So what Paul is making clear and what he does in verse 8, he says, listen, there's not a requirement to give here. Right? This is not a tax, there's not a law, there's not a penalty for not giving. And so you could, these Macedonians didn't have to give anything. And folks weren't going to show up at their door. They weren't, they weren't conscribed to give a thing. Right? Nobody expected them to give anything because of their great poverty. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But what he wants you to understand is we didn't force them to give. We didn't give pressure for them to give. We didn't say, hey, look at the Old Testament and see all the rules and laws that apply to giving. He didn't do any of that. They weren't forced to do anything. There wasn't a penalty for that. Right? And I don't know if you know this today or not, but there are still Jewish folks that are bound to the law. And so every year they pay what they call the temple tax. And if they don't pay their temple tax, then they're in, in limbo of losing what salvation they think they've earned. All right? It's a requirement to pay to the Jewish system and to the nation of Israel if you're a Jew. And what Paul makes clear here is this is not a requirement. No, nobody's going to hunt you down. and Nobody's going to take away your birthright. Nobody's going to take away your property. Nobody's going to take away any of your stuff if you choose not to do this. But these folks willingly did it. They did it on their own accord. And not only did they do it on their own accord, but they did it according to their abilities. And so this becomes very personal for them. They chose to give. Not only did they choose to give, they chose the amount to give. 
It's not like the government sending you that bill at the end of the year saying, hey, here's what you owe us. It's not like you get that letter from the DMV and saying, hey, you drive this car. This is what you have to pay if you want to keep driving that car. And if you don't, we're going to show up and we're going to take that car. By the way, if you ever thought you did own anything, stop paying the government for it. Right? You'll find out real quick that you really don't own anything. You're just leasing it from somebody else. All right? Reality shock for you. All right? So what he's telling you is, listen, there's not a requirement for this. We're not saying the Macedonians had to give a certain amount of money, but they did. And they gave this because they willingly did it on their own. They enlisted by themselves, and they did it according to their abilities. And so there were some families in Macedonia that had a little bit more than some of the other families. And so according to their abilities means this family that had a little bit more, guess what they did? They willingly gave a little bit more. This family over here that had nothing and was eating dirt, guess what they did? They willingly gave. Did they give as much as them? No. But really, remember, we already talked about this. Our joy is not in comparison to what other people are doing. It's confined to Jesus Christ Himself. And so what the Macedonians are doing, the reason they're an example for us, is they're giving willingly, but they're also giving according to their ability. And so again, the amount is not the important thing. It's the attitude and the heart that is important. And the attitude of the Macedonians is we're going to give. We want to give. And we want to give according to our abilities. And we know we're not required to. We want to give according to what we can. And we know it's not a tax. We know that we can cannot give and be all right. But we want to do this. Right? And then we look at the end of verse 3. And we find out not only did they give uh, willingly, they gave supernaturally. Right? So look at me. Or look with me again at verse 3. He says, Testify that on their own, according to their abilities, and beyond their abilities. You see, beyond their abilities, they gave and they trusted God to provide. They, they gave and they simply said, we're going to flip our budget around. We're going to give to God first. And then we're going to trust that He's going to meet these needs that we have. You see, we already talked about, do we trust God? Absolutely. Do we believe God's provider? Absolutely. Do we give like we believe that? Eh, maybe not. These folks did. You see, what they did is exactly what Randy and his wife did in that video. They sat down with their budget as a family, and they said, let's look at this. Let's logically put this down on a piece of paper. And they did this. They put our income, and here's our expenses, and here's our, our monthly bills. And, oh, look, at the bottom, we really want to give to church, but there's, there's just nothing left to give. And they flipped their budget over and said, here's our, here's our income, and our first giving goes to God. And then everything else falls below that. You know what they found? At the bottom of that number, or the bottom of that page, negative. This is never going to work. There's no way we can give God this amount and then pay all these bills. This is never going to work. Can I share a little secret with you? My wife and I, as a pastor and a pastor's wife, have sat down and we've done that exact same thing. And we've had that exact same conversation. This is never going to work. Can I tell you another secret? There's never been a bill that we hadn't been able to pay. Never. To this day, there's never been a bill that we've never been able to pay. And I'm not bragging on myself and my wife who balances all that stuff out because, to be honest with you, it's not in our abilities to make it work. It's in our ability to trust the one who can make it work. And so their giving is supernatural because it goes beyond their abilities to give. We're going to trust God and we're going to say we're going to trust God. And here's a little secret for you. We as a church have signed on to this loan to buy these buildings in this coffee shop and we are trusting God to go above and beyond what we already give and do for all of our other ministries. We are simply trusting God to provide to do for those things because we believe, honestly, this is what God has called us to do. And so we honestly are trying to say we're going to go above and beyond. And so there are folks that will tell you very simply, man, look at what your income is and look what your expenses are. And as a church, how in the world are you going to do this other thing? And the simple answer, I don't know. I just know God is. And I'm going to trust that He is because this is what He's called us to do. And I 100 wholeheartedly believe this is what God has called us to do. And it's not in my ability to make it happen it never has been, and it never will be. It's in His. And so we give supernaturally because it's in His ability to do those things. And so, listen, here's a simple test for you. When you make that list out and you put all those things that you want and all those things that you write on that budget, and you're like, there is simply no way. I want you to refer back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. And in Malachi chapter 3, 
God is, is really getting on to the Israelites, and He's like, you guys are robbing me. You have stolen from me. And by well, that, He means you haven't realized that all that you have is mine in the first place, and so you're withholding things I've told you to give. Now, they were given according to the law and according to the commands. And so He says, you're, you're robbing me. You know what their excuse was? Well, God, you know, look, when we put it all down on paper and we pay all of our bills and then we come to the bottom of the page, there's just not 10% left over. And I want you to see what he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. He says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse. Bring it in so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Do you hear what God's challenge to us is? If you don't believe that I can provide for you, test me. If you don't believe, start with the top and give to Him first, then test me. And you'll see the blessings that you didn't see before. You will see Him open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings on you. And now let me just be clear. I'm not telling you to give so that you have a bigger bank account. I'm not telling you to give so that a new car shows up. And I'm not telling you to give so that you get that promotion. You know what I am telling you to do? Give because you are testing Him. And you trust that His Word is true. And He will provide all that your needs. And you will do what Randy said in that video. I, suddenly I got to see things from a different perspective. Test me in this way. You see, the Macedonians, they didn't need to test Him because they were so eager to give to Him already. I don't know if any of you are Avenger fans, but uh, my daughter has actually got me hooked on watching the Avengers movie. And so about one night a week, her and I are the only ones at home. And so we sit down and we watch Avengers movies. All right? and, and don't judge me for that, but I love them. And, and one of my favorite ones, out of all the Avengers, my favorite is Captain America. All right, now, some of you know Captain America. Some of you have seen that movie. And I love it because it is, it's this little bitty scrawny guy. Um, in fact, he's described as a 90-pound asthmatic boy from Brooklyn. That's how he's described. And so if you've seen the movie, the, the movie kind of, uh, the majority of the movie takes place during World War II. And there's this big campaign in World War II to gain enlisting men. We want men to come and fight. We want men to go fight the Germans. We want men to be ready to fight uh, the Japanese. And our war, our, our country is at war. And you need to be willing to do this. And so there's all these campaigns. That's where the Uncle Sam posters come from. You can talk to Josh Hams. He'll give you a whole history lesson about that. But there were folks that were signing those things up. And then because of health reasons, there were folks that were turned away. Even today, if you want to go join the military, there are certain health requirements that you have to fulfill. Right? And I can tell you that a 90-pound asthmatic from Brooklyn, he didn't fulfill those health requirements. Right? It's a sad day when your country is trying to promote and, and get people to enlist, and they're so desperate for it, they, have this, they spend millions of dollars to get people to do this, and you walk up to the line, and they're like, no, you're, not, you're out of here. And so I don't know if you've seen this movie or not, but, but it shows him going to the recruiting office and he wants to sign up and they give him this health physical and they're like, no, you, you can't do this. You're out. And then he goes, and, and most people would just be like, all right, I tried. You know, I did my service. But, but he is so eager to do his part. He's so willing to do his part that he, he doesn't really want to go fight. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. What he wants to do is serve his country. He wants to do his part and, and do everything he can to make this mission happen. And whatever that looks like, he's willing to do it. And so he leaves that recruiting office and he goes to a different one. And there's a, there's a world fair going on and there's the army set up there because they're, they'll recruit anybody. They're taking anybody. And so what does he do? He goes in there and he gives them a different name and he gives them a different hometown. And he lies about who he is. And one of his friends is like, you know that's illegal, right? Like, you know you can go to jail for falsifying that information. And he's like, I just, I just got to do it. I, I just can't sit here and not be part of this mission that's going on. I've just got to be part of it. And so Steve Rogers, this 90-pound asthmatic, is so eager to be part of this mission that he's willing to do anything it takes. And if it takes lying on a form, he's going to do it. And he goes from recruiter to recruiter to recruiter to recruiter. And every single one of them tells the same thing. There's no place for you here. And he does exactly what the Macedonians do. You've got to let me do this. And if you would just give me a chance, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. See, that's the attitude of Macedonians. And so they, they are not uh, commanded to give anything, 
But Paul says, listen, they are so eager to give, they're actually begging for the chance to do it. I want you to see what he says in verse 4. They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministries of the saints. They, they so desperately want to be part of what God is doing in the ministry of the saints as they're collecting money for, for the folks in Jerusalem. They're collecting money for the ministries that are happening. And guess what? Outside the walls of their church, outside the region that they're in, guess the secret, they're lengthening the ropes with what God has given them. Right? And, and so they are so eager to do this. They are begging Paul and they're like, listen, let us contribute to the work that God is doing outside of us. And you, it's funny, insistently, meaning that when they first went to Paul and said, hey, listen, Paul, we got this idea. We want to give you money for this. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. You guys have your own struggles. You have your own heartaches. You have your own situations going on here. And yet, what was their response? No, we want to do this. We eagerly insist on it. We are begging you to let us do this. And Paul goes back. He's like, no, 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 no. You just take care of you. Can I share a secret with you? There are so many churches that are just willing to take care of you and just willing to take care of just themselves. They're not willing to lengthen a rope and go beyond the walls of their churches, even with their finances. And so what he's saying is, listen, these guys who had nothing, these guys that are afflicted and in deep poverty, and yet they have joy and they have contentment, guess what they're doing? They are begging us to be used by Him. They're begging us to be part of what God is doing. And just like we saw in that video, that, that, that Randy looks at the offering and he sees what comes in, and he's like, I got to be part of that. Listen, next week is our Commitment Sunday, and we're going to give you an opportunity. There's no commands, there's no coercion, none of that, but we're going to give you a chance to be part of what God is doing. We're going to give you a chance to do exactly what the Macedonians are doing. We're not going to make you beg to be part of it, we're just going to give you an opportunity to be part of it. Right? Because they were so eager for them. This is an example for us to go beyond the walls of this church and the building to benefit others. And then we get to this last part of it. You see, they gave in this way. They gave eagerly and they gave willingly because they saw it as an overflow of worship. They saw this as an act of worship itself. Let me finish with uh, these last few verses here. Verse 5 says, Not just as we had hoped. You know, we we kind of hoped they would see the excitement. We kind of hoped they would feel the energy of what was going on. We kind of hoped that they would be anticipating these things. Not just that, man. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. You see, giving themselves to the Lord, this is describing worship. This is an act of worship. Worship is putting God first and ascribing Him value. And He says, listen, this is what they did. You know what they really did? They went and sought God. And they said, listen, God, here's what we want to do. And they went and they sought. They gave themselves, God, we are humbly submitting ourselves to You. And if You tell us this is a green light, then we are a go. Wednesday night, we're talking about activating God's space and inside of ourselves and, and so that we can, we can be agents for Him outside of ourselves. And, and the verse we focused on this week was Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And we talked about the body is not just our physical body. It's our whole being. It's our body, our mind, our soul, our strength. It's our desires. It is everything that we are and everything that we have. And he says, listen, give that. Present that. This is your act of worship. You see, this is what the Macedonians had that so many people fail to realize about giving. It is all about ascribing value to Him. It is part of our worship that we give to Him. It is this act that we do because we give ourselves first to God and we fully submit to Him and say, God, whatever it is that You want, it belongs to You anyway. I'm just a vessel to be used by You, so here I am. And then we talked on Wednesday night about this idea of a win or in Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, sacrifice, they don't get to set the conditions. They don't get to negotiate if they get sacrificed on this day or that day. It's all the one who does the presentation. And so Paul is telling the Romans, and he's saying, listen, this is what the Macedonians are done. They simply said, God, here I am. Here's my checkbook. Here's my bank account. It's all yours anyway. And I'm going to give because I trust your word. I'm going to give because my contentment is not found in this. It is found in you. And I'm going to give and I'm going to do it because I see what you are doing in other areas and I want to be part of it. 
And so then we go back to verse 7. And Paul kind of gives this idea. And he says, listen, you guys at Corinth, you're doing some great things. You're doing some awesome things there in Corinth, which is interesting because there's other times in his letter, man, he really handled to me. They were doing some terrible things. But in verse 7, he says, Now you are excelling in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence in your love for us. And then the challenge, excel also in this. Here's one of the richest cities in the ancient world. One of the richest churches in the ancient world. And he says, man, you guys have some of the greatest faith. You have some of the greatest speakers. Man, you have some of the greatest theologians. And, and your love for us is so great. See this church over here that has nothing? Be like them. Be challenged to excel in this grace of giving because of what He has given to us. Listen, I, I, I tell you all the time that I meet with lots of pastors. And some pastors are pastors of churches of ten. Some pastors are churches of hundreds and thousands of people. And I meet with them all the time. And I can share with you there no greater joy I have than sitting in a room and realizing how great of a church that I get to serve. That we do excel in many of these great things. We do excel in teaching children. We do excel in youth ministry. We do excel in sports ministry. We have some of those caring, compassionate people that will meet you at the front door. Man, we excel in Wednesday night dinners and, and, and covered dish suppers. We are Baptists and we excel in those things. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. But I wonder if sometimes there's not other things that we should be excelling in we should be focused on. I can't help but wonder if there's times that God is looking at all a cornerstone does and says, you guys are doing great. But there's one more part that I want you to excel in. I'll be honest with you, there's times in my life when I feel like God has cheered me on and saying, Michael Rakes, you are doing great. But you're holding on to this one area that's really not yours in the first place. And I want you to excel in it as well. And it's going to require you to give up what you think is yours. See, that's what we wrestle with personally. And that's where we are as a church. We do a lot of great things. But the challenge before us is maybe we need to be a little more like the Macedonians who had nothing and gave everything than like the Corinthians who had everything and gave nothing. Let's pray together.